The reading is taken from Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 1, and it can be found on page 1168 of our Bibles. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is God's word. It's not the most positive of words, but it is indeed uh, God's word. Let me, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Our loving Father, we thank you that indeed your word is uh, a light to our feet. We, we pray your spirit would illuminate it now so we can see clearly and that he would give us the desire, hearts that long to walk down uh, that path, a path of following you and loving you to the praise of your name. Amen. Well, we, uh, today, then, we start a new series in this uh, book of Galatians, and uh, we'll be here for about three months, I guess, uh, because it's, uh, it's well worth spending time in this book. It's a letter that has um, changed the world repeatedly. Obviously, in the first century, the, the impact was enormous. I guess mm, perhaps best known would be the 16th century, uh, when Martin Luther um, turned the world upside down theologically and, and politically as uh, the map of Europe was redrawn by the Reformation. And this, for him, was his key document. Uh, He describes the letter of Galatians as my epistle. I have betrothed myself to it. It is Katie, my wife. I don't know what she felt about that. Um, But uh, for him, this this was a passionately important document because as he read it, he rediscovered for himself uh, the, the biblical doctrine of righteousness by faith. That is, we can be put into a right relationship with God, not condemned, not guilty, but perfect and perfectly innocent and blameless and wonderfully perfect in in God's sight. We can be righteous before God by faith, by believing this is true, full stop. It's a gift. And it was a message that turned the world upside down in the 16th century. Did so again in the 18th century. Uh, Many came back to uh, read uh, Martin Luther, particularly his preface uh, to the book of Galatians. Charles Wesley was one, the great hymn writer. Uh, It was in reading uh, Martin Luther's preface 
to the book of Galatians that he became a Christian. He puts it this way. He was 1738. He was sick in his bed and he picked this up. Someone had given it to him. I was astonished, says Wesley. I now found myself at peace with God and rejoiced in the hope of loving Christ. I saw that by faith I stood, by the continual support of faith, which kept me from falling, though I myself am ever sinking into sin. For he, he said, God, his brother, John, John, this is really important, kept praying for his brother. Four days later, John Wesley uh, converted uh, uh, similarly. This, this is a letter which has turned the world upside down repeatedly. It's a fairly radical book. But it is a book about fighting, <laughs> in a sense. The fact you have to fight for freedom because the gospel message, it's so important. It's the message which can save anyone. It's the, only, it's the great message of hope for our world. But it's quite easy to let it slip through your fingers. And you have to keep fights to reclaim it over and over again. There's a sense in which... Um, uh, the book of Galatians it covers similar ground to the book of Romans, but Romans is, uh, if you've read through it, sort of calm and reflective. It's Christianity in the study, whereas Galatians is it's passionate, it's emotional. It's Christianity on the battlefield. Same truths, but in this letter, uh, Paul is really fighting because some people, they believe the gospel message, but they've just, it's just trickled away. They've let it slip through their fingers. You might not like <laughs> the idea of fighting and sort of, sort of months thinking about fighting. Well, not actively in, in that sense, but in our own hearts, <laughs> fighting the constant temptation to live in a slightly different way other than trusting in the gospel. Never move on. That's a simple message that Paul will have for Believers in this letter, you never move on. So it's a great letter in one sense. It covers the basics for, for people who perhaps wouldn't understand very much about Christianity. But actually Paul is writing to believers and saying, never move on. You'll be tempted. <laughs> You'll drift in that direction. Let me pull you back. I'm going to fight to pull you back. Never move on. So instantly today we've had somewhat of that fighting language. So chapter 1 verse 6, I'm astonished can't believe it that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, turning to a different gospel. Verse 9. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Just uh, across a few columns. Chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Verse 3. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Paul is writing this letter uh, then, uh, something like around about AD 50, 15 years after he'd become a Christian, probably about five years after he'd been to this area of Galatia, uh, modern-day Turkey. You can read about it, Acts 13, 14, the cities of uh, Derby, Lystra, Iconium. Uh, so Galatia is a, a region rather than one city. It's about, probably about five years after he's been there. And his message is, you started really well, and you believed the gospel, but some people have come along and have said, yes, good, you've started by believing in Jesus Christ, well done you, but now you need to move on to maturity. And the way you do that is by obeying certain rules. 
They, they come out in the letter. Just little things. Be circumcised uh, like a Jew would have been. Keep certain festival days. Not big things, but if you want to mature, if you want to push on in the Christian life, if you want to go to completeness, good, good start. But now you need to embrace something else. And Paul says, never move on. What, what are you doing? Chapter 3, verse 3, you started well. You began well. Why, why are you now thinking you're complete by your own labors? your own efforts. Never move on. Never move on from the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've been a Christian 10, 20, 40 years, it's not that the gospel is the basics, the sort of junior school ABC, and then you move on and you embrace more important things. It's, it's the A to Z of the Christian life. Maturity comes from applying the gospel to every different area of our lives. You never move on from the gospel. And uh, we, that comes up today. Uh, so we, uh, today, uh, that's exactly what Paul is saying, really. Now, it'd be tempting to jump straight into chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. It's sort of exciting and uh, uh, fighting language. But the first little beginning, the first five verses, the introduction, as it were, it sets out fairly crucial ideas that Paul's going to come back to time and time again in the letter. It's this sort of flyby that introduces the main theme. So we need to spend a little bit of time as he outlines uh, right at the beginning what the gospel message is. And he'll say a couple of things. It's revealed by God, one and two. And it's a rescue in the past, three to five. Let me read it just again. Uh, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me, to all the churches in Galatia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pause there. So it's a fairly standard greeting in one sense. Paul to the church. Greetings. It's sort of fairly bulk standard, like an email. To, from, subject. It's a sort of standard format of the day. But Paul expands it a bit. It says, uh, uh, to, you know, from Paul. Now, hold on a minute. Let me tell you. I need to tell you a little few things about myself. So he pauses. Because this message is revealed by God. So he sets off, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by God. Sorry, not from men, nor by man. So already he's in slightly fighting mood. No, no. <laughs> not, not. He starts off fairly negatively uh, from the start. And he's saying, God has directly given me this message. That's unique. Now, I can stand up here today and say, Matt Fuller, I give you a message, not from men, but it is by a man. So this message doesn't come from, it comes from God, and the Bible comes from God, but it, I can't say directly to me, it's come to me via men, through men, by the Apostle Paul. This is intermediary as it were, but Paul is saying not so, God and me, that's it, to you. No one's passed it on. I have, I have a unique revelation here, Jesus Christ spoke it to me personally. It's a message Revealed from God or by God. And we'll look at that in more detail next week. It's a message revealed by God. And it's about a rescue in the past. Verses 3 to 5. It's a rescue. Now that is uh, that's a revealing word. You know, at the moment uh, in Chile, the, uh, the miners stuck 2,300 foot below ground. And they're going to be there until 
Christmas, probably, sometime in December. You know, the, uh, the, the mine in, in the desert has collapsed upon them, and uh, government efforts, they're digging a tunnel. In fact, they're digging three, just to make sure. Uh, three tunnels down to them to try and get these miners out. Uh, but they're trapped. See, they need rescuing. And what does that show? They, they can't do it themselves. What rescue implies, they need someone to come and get them. It's not as if the government can say, okay, digging, here's how you dig. Okay, dig, off you go. Away you go with your hands. Well, over 2,000 feet, that would take them quite a long time. They're not just giving them an example. They're saying, we are coming to get you. You are helpless. You are beyond your own resources. You need a rescue. Well, just so, Jesus Christ came to rescue us because we couldn't save ourselves. We are lacking in the resources to do so. It's a rescue. That's what he came to do. How? Well, um, how he does so by uh, uh, verse 4. He gave himself for our sins. That's the problem. Jesus Christ gives himself, gives his life as a ransom for our sins. That's how the rescue takes place. So what does that achieve? Well, it rescues us from the present evil age, which is a funny phrase, a sort of right-wing phrase, isn't it? It's all evil. The whole world is evil. It's not, it's not quite as simple as that. The Bible talks in two ages. There's the present age. It began with the creation of the world and will end when the world ends. That's the present age. That's one. But there's also the resurrection age, which overlaps with it. It began with the resurrection. It'll last forever. And Paul is saying, when you become a Christian, you, you belong to that resurrection age now. You're rescued from the present age. Evil in the sense it's an age of uh, sin and death. And you're rescued from that. You still live in it physically, but spiritually you belong to the next age, which will last forever. Those miners, when they come out of the mine... Uh, be lovely if it was Christmas Day or something like that. Wonderful story. But uh, when they come out of the mine, uh, they're finally all pulled up uh, on the ropes out of this. It's a, it's a sort of 32-inch uh, tunnel. So um, everyone will lose a little bit of weight, I think, to, uh, to get through there. No, no, but a 32-inch tunnel, they're all going to be pulled up. Now, they'll get to the surface, and uh, they'll still be filthy when they emerge. And uh, they'll be starving, well, they're certainly malnourished. They're getting some food, but they'll be uh, malnourished. They'll be surrounded by sort of detritus of, of a, a mining operation. So in one sense, they're still surrounded by everything of life in the mine. But one thing has changed. They're rescued. And obviously they'll go and get cleaned up and they'll go back to their families. But at that moment in time, they are rescued. Once they're standing on the surface, the rescue has taken place, even though they're surrounded by the, the muck of mining. Well, in one sense, that, that's the status of the Christian. Physically, yes, in, in this world, surrounded by this world, much which is good, but much which is not, but rescued for the next age, belonging to the next. That's our condition. But crucially, the rescue for the Christians in the past, 2,000 years ago, that's when the rescue took place. It's a rescue in the past. Past tense. Okay. Paul, we'll keep coming back to these things. But Paul wants to nail these two very clearly. The gospel, it's revealed by God, not by men. It's about a rescue in the past, not what you do in the present. 
That's the gospel. Okay. Two, uh, two implications that come uh, straight away, and in one sense they're the implications of the letter, so we're, we're skimming through them today. Uh, first then, don't pervert the gospel into performance. Verses 6 and 7. Don't pervert it into performance. Verse 6. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. It's no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, you get Paul's shock here. What are you doing? I can't believe this is... Do you realize the mistake you're making? This is absurd. What are you doing? Some people have come in and they have corrupted, perverted, distorted the gospel. It's not the gospel anymore. (laughs) They've changed it and they've ruined it, absolutely ruined it. There is no such thing as another gospel. These false teachers that have come in and have said, oh, lovely, you've started really well. I need a voice for these, then you'll always know, don't I? I'll adopt a voice. Uh, These... um, It'll be high. No, I can't do that. The um, false teacher, no. Um, the false teachers come in and say, you, you, you've begun really well. You've begun really well. Now just add a few things. If you want to complete the Christian life, grow to maturity, add, add a few regulations, that'll, add a few disciplines that'll, that'll make all the difference. Paul says, gospel add anything, it's destroyed. It's ruined. It's gone. Since the gospel is, uh, let me uh, uh, examples, a negative and a positive. The gospel is not like gold. Gold, as far as I understand it, 24 karat gold is pretty much pure. 99.8% or something. 24 karat gold, you've got that. That's, that's, that's the real stuff. But you can add other things to gold, and it's still gold. So 18 carats, 12 carats, 12 carat gold. I think my ring's 12 carat gold. It's still called gold, but only 50% of it is gold. So you can add things to gold. It's still gold. I guess there comes a point at which it's tin. But um, uh, essentially, up to about 50% of the time, it's gold, even though you add little things to it. It's not that the gospel is not like that. Add anything and it's ruined. So it's a bit like this, uh, my understanding, wine. When you're making wine, which my father used to do, it smelled awful, but he assured me it was good. When, uh, when you're making wine... You, you need to have your barrels absolutely pure. If you put wine into the barrel and there's any little muck or any little bacteria, it destroys the wine. So wine goes in, it's wine, super. But if there's any bacteria there, it, it turns to acid, acetic acid, which actually is it's a, it's a poison. It's a mild poison. It'll make you sick. If you drink enough of it, it could do you some proper harm. But it'll, anything, anything, you go from wine to poison. Just a tiny bit of bacteria, it'll grow, it'll grow, it'll grow, it'll grow, and it'll ruin the whole thing. So you've either got wine or poison, but there's no middle ground. Now, wine, delightful. Poison, that's the gospel. It, it's perfect as it is. You add anything. If you think you contribute anything in the present to Christ's work in the past, anything, you ruin it. It's very black or white. Either you rest your hope upon the rescue of the past, or you think, yes, the past, and a little bit of what I do as well in the present. It's gone. 
A saving message of grace is gone. If you add anything to the gospel, don't do it. Let me give you, um, uh, I reread uh, this week, Martin Luther's preface uh, to the book of Galatians. Um, it is full of fighting language. Uh, fairly shocking, actually, in parts. But uh, parts of it are very clear and simple and direct. Let me give you just one little phrase which really jumped out for me, a little paragraph. So then, do we, sorry, do we do nothing to obtain this righteousness? No. Nothing at all. Perfect righteousness is to do nothing, to hear nothing, to know nothing of the law of works, but to know and believe only that Christ has gone to the Father and is no longer visible, that he sits in heaven at the right hand of his Father, not as judge, but he's made our wisdom, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. How do we get a righteousness before God, a saving relationship with him? Do we, what do we do? Nothing. It's all done. The rescue's in the past. In the present, we do nothing. That's the gospel. So you see, the gospel is, I am made righteous by a rescue of the past. A perversion, a distortion of the gospel is the other way around. There's something I do in the present which will make me righteous. Where, where, where does your hope lie? In the past with Jesus Christ or in the present with you? The present is the perversion. Three little ways that, that might go wrong. Let me give you uh, three, and uh, they get closer to us, I think. Uh, some, first will be, uh, some groups obviously add rules. Okay, a, so, for example... Uh, I don't enjoy doing this, but for example, the, the London Church of Christ sounds good, doesn't it? But uh, they would say you believe in Jesus Christ, but if you want to be saved as a Christian, there are certain quotas you have to fulfill. You have to attend a certain number of Sundays in the year. You have to bring a certain number of guests along with you to their services. Uh, you have to give a certain amount of, of money, and there are quotas that you have to hit in lots of different areas. Now, that's very obviously saying, yes, trust in Jesus Christ, but now... There are certain boxes you have to tick. That's fairly obvious, and not many people fall into that, apart from young, it's often fairly young, zealous people who think, I want to be a mature Christian. Okay, here's a quantifiable method I can tick off. That's sort of one fairly obvious way of going wrong, perverting the gospel. A second, and I, I say this cautiously, I'll need to explain this more in later weeks, but a second would be official... Roman Catholic doctrine. Now, I'm conscious that there, there are differences in what different churches, Roman Catholic churches, would teach. But official catechisms and official doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church would say, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he empowers you by faith to live a righteous life. So, yes, he's rescued you, but he'll give you the strength and the grace now, in the present, to win righteousness. So the gospel essentially says, if you a flippant example, the gospel comes, Jesus Christ says, here's a cake. There's a cake. It's a gift. Take it. An official Roman Catholic teacher would say, Jesus Christ comes along and says, I can make you into a chef who can make a cake. Now that's, that's simplistic, but accurate. 
Now you see how, not just the past, but present as well. And Paul would say, no, that, that's a perversion of the gospel. Now again, I don't think every Roman Catholic church would teach that, but official doctrine set down from Rome would state that. A third would be, and um, actually over the coming weeks, this is where we'll spend probably most of our time thinking about this, because it's closest to us. The third is the more subtle area of uh, Christians uh, like many here who would say, I know in my head, I'm perfectly, hey, look, I've been taught many times, I am rescued by, sorry, it's the rescue in the past that means I'm righteous, that I'm saved. I know that. But in our hearts, that's not quite how we live. Actually, week by week, we still think in practice, I will push to maturity if I obey certain rules. God is more approving of me if I follow certain regulations. And it's very easy to drift into that. In our heads, we know one thing. In our hearts, we just live slightly differently. Uh, And that's the one we'll need to unpack over, over the next few weeks. Jesus gets me in to heaven. I know that. But then I think my industry determines my maturity. And Paul would say, no. Will you stop looking at yourself and will you just keep looking at Jesus Christ? Stop looking at you, look at him. That's the gospel. Look at him, not at you. Or in Luther's words, do we do nothing to obtain this righteousness? No. Nothing. It's all him. So the gospel, it's very easy to let it slip through our fingers. Very easy indeed. Don't add anything to the wine. You'll make it poison. Don't drink poison. Now, very good. Those three different ways, they are different. There's a difference in seriousness. So the latter, which is closest to us, we believe one thing in our heads, but we live something else out in our hearts. Um, uh, that's bad because even though you're, we're still Christians, we still believe the right things, our relationship with God will get subtly poisoned. So if we think it's how we perform that determines God's approval upon us, that will rob us over time of pleasure in the Christian life, of peace, of joy. And so the Christian life will become burdensome. Still Christians, but sort of Christians. So over time, it makes a difference. The other two, the obvious rules of the London Church of Christ, the more subtle language of Roman Catholic error. That's not the gospel. And they cannot save you. Now, some of you tense up when I say that. And if I'm honest, I slightly tense up when I say that. Because I don't like saying those things. I'm a man pleaser, essentially. And I'd much rather say all is well. But this letter is Paul saying all is not well. And it's very easy to let the gospel slip away. So you have to keep coming back and saying, it is this, it's not that. Because it's a message that saves. And if you lose the message, you lose your salvation, ultimately. And this is not just this academic exercise, it's all fighting over doctrines, who cares about that? Verse 6, do you see how personal it is? So verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. You're abandoning God. You see, this is personal. If you give up on the gospel, if you drift slightly, if you add something to the gospel, you're no longer drinking wine, you're drinking poison, and you no longer have a relationship with God as Father. You've abandoned him and you're thinking you're doing it on your own. If you add anything, 
formally to the gospel. Don't add a thing. There is no middle ground, says Paul. There's no middle ground between wine and poison. There's no middle ground really between rescued and lost. There's no middle ground between I trust upon Jesus Christ and the rescue he did in the past and Jesus rescued in the past and now in the present I have to... There's no middle ground between any of those things. It's one or the other. If you believe your performance in the presence adds to your rescue, you've deserted God. You're lost. Don't pervert the gospel into performance. Don't, don't do that. And last thing, very briefly, don't listen, therefore, to any other gospel. This is strong language, isn't it, verses 8 and 9? Strong language. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, now I say to you again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. I mean, that, that's strong. Modern language, someone comes along and says something different to the gospel, he can go to hell. That, that, is, that is what Paul is saying here. It's not pleasant. But you see how he repeats himself. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. So verse 9, I'm, I'm going to tell you again because I'm not in a strop. <laughs> I'm not just, I've not just had a bad day on the road. I'm not just in a grump here. I'm not flying off the handle. These, these are my reflections here. So I'm going to say it again. They can go to hell if anything else is what they're saying. Paul says, look, if, if I change my mind, if I come back to you after five years away and say, well, you know, I've been ruminating and I've thought a little bit and my mature reflections are, you know, kick me out. Kick me out because my mature reflections are not a direct revelation from God, so ignore them. If an angel comes along and starts, you know, comes down, it'd be quite impressive, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd be impressed. Oh. And because uh, they all sing like that. The uh, angel comes down and says, actually, Paul got it slightly wrong and let me explain Get him by his wings and, and fling him back out again. You don't listen to anything else. Because there's no other message that saves. It's, it's very, you get this, um, I mean, lots of ministers, particularly, dare I say, Anglicans. And uh, you talk to them about, oh, you're an evangelical, are you? Yes, yes, I am. I used to be an evangelical, really. My canvas broadened over time. Also, which, of course, says, and you're very narrow. You know, there's obviously the obvious implications of that. Um, and I used to just sort of smile pleasantly. I, uh, I, I still smile pleasantly and, uh, and say, oh, I hope it's not another gospel now. <laughs> um, and uh, that sort of get a variety of reactions with that. But you realize, what do you, what do you, you don't broaden from this message. You never move on. There's nowhere else to go. To move on is to abandon God. You don't broaden from this, says Paul. And so he finishes, finishes verse 10. What do you think? Am I, am I a man pleaser now? Obviously that was an accusation against him. Am, am I a man pleaser? No. <laughs> Not with this language. But he says you have a choice. You, you can be a man pleaser uh, and then you have a message which offends no one and will save no one and will make no difference. Or you can be a servant of Christ, verse 10, and you'll have an explosive message. Be absolutely radical, and it'll deeply upset people, and it will change the world. 
and it'll save people forever. But that's your choice. As for me, he says, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. So do you see how these things go uh, hand in hand? At the beginning, this gospel message, it's revealed by God, therefore don't listen to any other. And this gospel message, message, it's a rescue in the past, so don't pervert it into performance in the present, in the present. You never move on. Never move on from the gospel. And if you think, oh, that's not very interesting. I'd like to, you know, it's not what we, it's not what we do in my career. I move on. It's not what I do in life. I move on. I, I get on. Never move on. <laughs> because to move on is to abandon God. To stay with the gospel. That is the place of peace and joy and contentment and eternity. So over the next few weeks, we're not going to move on. We're just going to go deeper each week into the gospel. Let's pray together. So then, do we do nothing to obtain this righteousness? No. Nothing at all. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that in the gospel there is righteousness, there is a right relationship with you. It is a gift, and we contribute nothing to our rescue in the present. It is all the work of Jesus Christ, based upon his work in the past. Uh, We thank you for that is so liberating, and uh, even this morning as we've just started to, uh, to think about these truths again, would you drive them deeper into our hearts? Yes, if we've never understood them, would we understand them? But for many of us who are Christians already, would you drive them deeper into our hearts so that we have uh, uh, the liberation, the freedom that the gospel is meant to bring, looking at Jesus Christ, not as ourselves, not at ourselves, celebrating what he has done, and now living with freedom, longing to please you, but because we're free to do so. Amen.